0: Web Three With Me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney, and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being listeners of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast-growing Web3 companies who wanna understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Clive Henry, Director of Strategic Partnerships for all things Web3 at Adobe. Clive made a career helping Fortune 500 companies adopt new innovation. From streaming video to Web3, he's worked with some of the largest media brands in the world, consulting on direct-to-consumer digital products. Clive is also an active member of House DAO, a DAO whose goal it is to buy an MBA team. Clive's experience leads to a great discussion about what it will take for enterprise creators to adopt Web3 with a strong focus on retailers. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Welcome to the show, Clive. Glad to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I know. I've gotten to do like a little bit of research and kind of hear some of your philosophies. And we've chatted before and I'm excited for the whole interview. And, you know, the way I always like to start these is I like to know your founding story. What makes Clive Clive? Awesome. So uh, before I talk about Clive, uh, in
1: preparation for this conversation today, I listened to your last guest. Um, Young guy, he's a former basketball player in the Atlanta area. And um, it's not part of my Web3 story, but a time ago, I was an aspiring college division one prospect out of Toronto. So, um, you know, you're keeping it in the family here, Zach. Um, You know, ballers can turn out to be great business people, you know, shout out to Kobe. (laughs) Right. So but my story really starts with, um, you know, just being curious about technology out of college. Right. So I got out of college and the Internet was booming. And um, but and this was probably the most important business lesson still for me. It was a wave of innovation that was happening. But the stuff that stuck where you really made money early on in the Internet was the infrastructure. But it wasn't exciting. Right. So I, I worked in the Toronto area for the first part of my career. I was part of a company. The company IPO'd. I was an early employee. I had shares. Those things turned into real money. But that part of the industry, it lacked something for me. It wasn't creative enough, right? It was internet infrastructure. So I got on a plane, short flight, one hour from Toronto to New York. And I landed in New York. I went back to business school and I started looking for that middle ground. And it really wasn't a thing then but i was looking for that middle ground between creativity and technology right i did some consulting for a while and when i really got the bug is when the iphone came out and i just saw it right away that that device would be used for streaming video and i got the streaming video bug we talk about the web 3 rabbit hole but i got the video rabbit hole right (laughs) and um I started a company, it was a consulting company, but it was also a broadcasting company. We got our cameras, we went around New York City, and we started interviewing talent, going to events. We were in the record studio, Um, we were in um, the nightclubs. Yeah, we were basically part of the initial YouTube wave. And um, that's when the creator economy, I think that's when the thesis was built. You know, um right around the time that Google bought YouTube, and there was just like a whole ecosystem of creators out here that were trying to provide the content that would power that engine, we were just talking about genius on Netflix and Cody and Chike and you know that um, that documentary that they put together. But twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, when I first got to New York, and um you know we were all just a community of people who were trying to figure out this intersection between video technology and what we now just call social media.
0: Yeah.
1: That's after that. Yeah. Go ahead, Zach. I I, I, I have one piece I can't leave out because it's been the last nine years of my life. You know, I found a company. Yeah. I found a company, companies, Adobe and Adobe's thesis is that, you know, in order to, transform a business out into the future, you need creators, but those creators also need computer scientists. They need the analytical mind. And Adobe is a company that provides software and solutions for both of these communities. Everyone sees our commercials, Photoshop, Illustrator, and we've got that business, but we're also a top analytics company for CMOs, all, all around the world. We power most of your favorite websites for the brands that you visit. We also power a lot of e-commerce experiences. So it's a company that aspires to bring together creators and experience makers, right? Like developers and computer scientists. And, you know, it's, it's been my home for nine years and I think um, they
0: took the boring out of technology for me. It sounds like it really aligns with your early mission. Right. I mean, you said you're trying to marry kind of creativity and technology and like it's exactly what you feel like Adobe is doing. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, you, you um, at the time, you know, there wasn't an um, industry paradigm to point to to say these two things um, are going to be an important part of the future. Um, we were still browsing the Internet in the browser or on our desktops you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, now the phone's ubiquitous and the idea that engagement or attention is the number one asset in the experience economy, it's just just a normal thing. And to me, it sort of dovetails into Web3, right? So I've been a part of this great um, growth story at Adobe for the last nine years where our creative business has become a default set of solutions for producers and creatives like you and your producer community here as well as um for experience creators inside of the enterprise people who make websites apps or digital experiences that bridge the real world like a screen in um in the movie theater or the screens that you see in your favorite retailers i like to talk about the screens in Starbucks that tell me my coffee is ready, but there are screens everywhere now. Adobe helps to power those screens, right? So so it, it did bridge the two, but there's a new wave happening now, right? It's almost like for the last nine years, we've built a business where creators contribute to the technology. The largest companies in the world now are these cloud technology businesses and um, creators Um, you know, they get a piece of the pie, but, um, they more just get the, the value of, um, not having to build the platforms themselves, right? Like Facebook exists so I can go on there or Instagram and I I can create a platform. Then I go from there to me, what web three is really all about is the growing influence of the creator and the idea that attention doesn't come after the product that you can start building an enterprise a startup a company a project by getting the attention first
0: interesting can you expand on that a little bit this is a very interesting concept so uh you're saying that if because of web3 which you know i would assume is the technology that allows you to own the things you create um right? They're they're able to grab attention quicker. Is that kind of what you're saying or explain that a little bit more?
1: It's the monetization angle, right? So So, so I've become, I've really learned uh, multiple ways um, as I've onboarded myself into this world of uh, Web3 and blockchain. And um, one of the people that I've learned a lot from, I'd love to have a conversation with him one day because we don't agree on everything, is Chris Dixon. A16Z, the largest pool of capital, helping to enable what's happening in Web3. You know, the money behind um, Yuga Labs, uh, the money behind Coinbase, you know, and um, a lot of other businesses that are going after this opportunity. One of the things that Chris says that I agree with is it starts with the narrative, Mm -hmm. right? And to build an effective narrative in the Web3 space, You've got to have creators, right? This isn't exactly a business discussion. I I, I read a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who wrote it, but they were like, "Could you imagine if Yuga Labs went on Shark Tank and pitched Board Ape Yacht Club?" <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. They would have got. They, they would have had to given up ninety nine percent of the company to earn to raise a hundred thousand dollars, right? Like it was just it was just something that started with the imagination of creators. And um, the only reason why it worked is because, you know, NFTs and um, crypto tokens um, were um, a direct to consumer monetization vehicle that did not exist five years ago for creators. This is meaningful,
0: right? but it doesn't, yeah.
1: exactly it is. Yeah. I like to use that term too. It's, it's financialization. And um, what we're seeing early in web three is that creators have taken advantage of the financialization or the ease of financialization and having that direct relationship with fan communities in a way that's meaningful. I don't think it stops there, Zach. Like for me, when I analyze this space, I look at the the father, or you can call it the mother, of all blockchains, uh, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and I think what we're all doing is learning and expanding on what the Bitcoin community got right. Right? It's a token, right? It's a it's a cryptographic generated token. That's what a Bitcoin is. But many of its early creators believed that it was a monetary system, right? that it was something that would be a more sound form of money. But in order for Bitcoin to take off, they had to go direct to the holders, right? They, they, they taught, you know, metallic and the Ethereum and the Layer 2s and the Alt Layer 1s. Um, they taught us all like a really important lesson. And that was these instruments could be financialized. Bitcoin proved that and that financialization went through the retail, it went through the consumer, not through a middle person. And I think the creators of Web3 and NFTs have just really picked up on that. But I don't think it'll stop there. I think it's part of a broader wave of more direct engagement with consumers.
0: Yeah. You brought up a few things I want to unpack there. Um, I am going to start from what you mentioned first, which was the idea that you have to have a good narrative. that is a recurring conversation that I have both on and off the mic. Right. Um, I, my very first guest on the podcast uh, is a brand strategist. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he made the assertion that, you know, brand is really all that matters in web three. Right. But what is brand brand is the narrative and what is the narrative? It's the culture. Right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Like
0: If you come out with bored apes and, the only narrative is, Hey, you should buy these things because they're going to be worth more later. Um, It's probably not going to go anywhere, but because the narrative that was driven and I remember being pitched this narrative was, Hey, we're all the people that missed out on crypto punks. Right. And it was the first PFP collection to do that. Right. Like nobody else was really claiming that at that point. This was like April, 2021. it it really sank home with like all these people that i knew and respected and they it it was what mattered it's what brought them in now what took them from a couple ETH to hundreds of eth floor right like hundreds of thousands of dollars and million dollar transactions now that's a, a celebrity thing right like i think that was then it became like a status symbol but it was that narrative that drove them to be adopted by the crypto community
1: yeah, I wanna, I, I wanna, I wanna um, expand on that, but I want to just uh, point something out to you. you. You said that this all happened in April of twenty one. Yeah. Does that feel like a long time ago to you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, that feels like a decade ago. It was like, so okay, long ago. <laughs> there was a world where B A Y C didn't exist, but that was a long time ago.
0: I've had a daughter team. since then. So, like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that was 15 months ago. I know, <laughs> but doesn't it doesn't feel, it really does feel like a decade. I mean, we talk about Web3 time or crypto time or NFT time, and every month is like a year almost because oh, things yeah. are happening so fast, which really kind of drives home the point that narrative is important, right? Like, how yeah. do you get your base? when you have so much going on all the time, so many things pulling at your attention, so much noise, and it's, do you get wrapped up in narratives? And I do it all the time. Like I, I went down deep down to kind of like the degen NFT collection rabbit hole. And I try to think through my communities and I'm like, which narrative do I connect with most? Which ones, are are there people in the community that I could see myself you know, spending significant time with and enjoying it and is driving a fun experience. Because at the end of the day, like price is important. It's probably the number one driver. But in in this market, when we're down 80, 90 percent on most of these projects, some of them 100. Right. Um, It's going to be the narrative and the consistency and the culture of these communities that has the longevity for them to last for another year or 10 years in, in Web3 time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm there now, right? So um, I got onboarded into NFTs. Um, I was doing an analysis for um, some a class I was taking on OpenSea. And um, at the time, basically, you know, the Board API Club project was was driving transaction volume on the OpenSea marketplace. I, I agree with you. And I agree with Chris that the narrative is a big part of what drove that project and what drives, you know, the projects that have sort of tried to emulate this PFP trend in NFTs, which is only one of the trends in NFTs. But um, I think what they did, they did two things that can't be um, understated. They gave out a Creative Commons license to the holders of the NFT so you could create your own universe. Um, at the time, uh, Timberland was, um, bought, uh, his own, um, ape and, you know, he was, um, creating a record label and, um, I took a close look at that and I think they're still making music, right? The other thing that they did is, um, they publicized their roadmap, right? And, and, and they they called it roadmap 1.0. And I think that's what excited the commercial community, right? The retail investor was like, this is awesome. This is the first NFT project that's done this, that's given me their roadmap and it's cool, but there's going to be a 2.0. So, you know, this is like a journey. And the only way I can be on the journey, be part of that roadmap is if I own the asset, you know? So like you take that narrative and you build it out, but, um, Zach, exactly. when we talked in preparation for this, you mentioned one of these projects and I got to put my hand up. Um, I'm like this analytical studious person. I've been studying this space for 15 months for like a decade, right? The NFT space. And I still don't have a PFP community that I belong to, right? And you mentioned Dead Fellows. and I've been looking at it and I haven't decided yet if it's the one for me, but it looks interesting, right? Like that's cool. What made you bring that one up? And does it fit this narrative roadmap creative commons license thesis that I mentioned?
0: Um, so I don't think there's this creative commons. Um, and, and, and that is a whole separate conversation I'm happy to have with you. Cause it's very relevant now because Moonbirds just announced they're going CC zero X copy just made all of his work or their work uh, CC zero. So we should definitely come back to that. Um, yeah. What happened with me with Dead Fellows was um, when I first missed out on Board Apes and I watched mm-hmm. them go up. Um, I wanted, I felt like I knew what a good community was, um, and so I wanted to go out and find a Discord uh, where they were having conversations that were real. They weren't talking about floor prices, um, and I wanted to find one that had leaders that had values that I identified with. Um, and this was pre-doxing. So now Betty and Psyche, the two founders of dead fellows are doxed. Um, but before this, we didn't really know who they were. We just knew they were an Australian couple with three kids and they were, they went public with their story, how they borrowed money to do the drop. They couldn't even afford to mint everything, how they, manually minted almost every single thing to make sure the <laughs> didn't take care of the drop. And wow. that they were very like pro, like a lot of the same policies that I approve, like pro LGBTQIA plus like all of these like very practical minded things that I felt like was everything that the world should be paying attention to. And that had nothing to do with the art. The art was very cool. I love the art yeah what's that isn't it good yeah i find great art i love the art and i don't want to take away from the art but it was it was hearing betty out in public making these assertions and representing the values that i felt like were what the community should be doing right as opposed to speculating and things like that and then i just kind of fell down the rabbit hole i got um they had these super cool things called survival games back in the day where you could like go in and type a command and I won a dead fella, which is luck, but still cool that I got to do yeah. that. Then yeah. I also was like on this Halloween thing with them, and I met this cool artist named Rom Brandt, and I ended up getting like what they call an infected S1 dead fella, and he would make free art for me just because I won that. And that was the mentality. It was all about the community and giving back. And now even when you talk about board apes and the roadmap, like we talk about these things when they were novel and now they're not novel. And once things don't like they're not novel and every other project tries to do them, they get tarnished, but those were still the things that worked at that point. Right? Like having a roadmap was unique at that point. Now everybody's like, Oh, roadmaps, right? Like, But it's important to know where you're going. It's important to have an idea of what the next step is. And it's also important to show your values to the community. So I kind of tie it all back to the narrative, right? Part of the narrative is the culture you build. And the narrative that Betty was bringing to the project, this community manager, was a narrative that I could empathize with. Right? Yeah, I
1: really like that. I really like that. You're, You're selling me. Um, I got to go check the floor price or maybe we can tell you this. And I think
0: I told you this in our prep call when I went to, so I went to eight Fest when I was at NFT NYC and it was fun. I mean, I got to see LCD sound system from 10 feet away. Um, but when I went to dead fellas party, I walked in and I was like, Oh, this is kind of chill. Right. And like at first all of a sudden this person gets on stage and they're kind of sitting in a chair and like the song comes on and it's like, bum, 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 bum. And, like <laughs> they start dancing and I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? And like, they get up and they rip off this like robe they're wearing. And they're in like all black with like robot arms. And I'm just like, this is evoking so much emotion for me. And it just really sealed the deal. Yeah. That, like, that's the type of culture I want to be a part of. Right. And like, I never turn back. Right. Yeah, like creativity
1: mm-hmm. is steroids.
0: So is this your PFP project? Yeah, That's this right. is this is the one that I uh, I don't necessarily like. I'm not a big Discord guy anymore, which I've kind of learned now that I do this full time. I'm more of a Twitter guy, um, being out in the public forum, having conversations, uh, occasionally shit posting uh, <laughs> <laughs> about how awesome Bells <laughs> is. But I mean, these are these are my this is my most strong community of people I don't know in real life. And then I have Beans Dow, which is the, my background on every single episode. Which is actually people that, well, I met them digitally at first. We've actually been friends in real life now. So,
1: yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so I am in a DAO. It's it's called a house DAO. Uh, you might have heard of it. This is a DAO that was um, formed. Uh, did a crowd fund. We raised um, at the time. It was close to five million dollars uh, when ETH was up above uh, four thousand. Uh, dollars per ETH, we raised a thousand ETH, you know, worth of capital um, for the first phase of a plan to go out and buy an ownership position in an NBA team, and um, you know that was nine months ago, um, close to ten months ago now, and um, you know that's um, that's been the community um, that has um, onboarded me into you know, all the different aspects of um, Web3, the financialization, the community part of it, the importance of the narrative, you know, and the physical to digital connection, right? Like Krause House has been the community that's helped to onboard me into that. But in general, I think we're at a time where the community is what matters now. Um, A lot of people are calling this, your bear market that we're in, the build market. Um, I do agree with that, but I think it's important to determine what you're going to be building. Products, yes, right? But if you don't have an engaged community, right, at the other side of this, then... You're not going to be on the strongest competitive footing if you've got to rebuild that community, and community is not um, not easy to build. So, I'm going to take a closer look at Dead Fellows because I do I don't have a PFP. But if you have other suggestions, right, or if even people are listening and you know they uh, feel like there's a project that um, is just as strong or stronger than the Dead Fellows project um, that suits my profile, then you know put the suggestion.
0: Well, um, let's talk uh, Twitter. <laughs> let's no. Let's talk about your your. What is your profile? I mean, if you, you're legitimately considering joining a PFP, like what what values do you want to see in a community?
1: Yeah, so so I've um I have not outgrown obviously um my um, my sportsman background um my years competing at a pretty high level of basketball in college and a little bit semi pro and and um, and in high school. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the way I look at, you know, media and creativity, I think athletes are creators, right? I felt like a creator uh, when I was out there on the court. I felt like I was a part of a play that was playing out in front of fans, right? And now as a business person, right? Um, as part of like a creator economy movement, I think that um, a part of what I'm out here doing is um, showing creators of all types how being a really good creator is a business, right? Like it's a um, it's it's a serious role in um, you know the evolution of a business. Eventually, there's got to be some product there, right? right. Like, product. like like we'll, we'll take this back to Web three in a moment, but narrative is important, roadmap is important. The products are how you generate profit in a business world. LeBron James is a great player, but he sells a lot of sneakers. Yes. Sir. Right. Right. So, I think that's a, a big part of my energy. The other um, the other part of my energy is um, I just think that innovation is cool. Right. I'm on the side of hey, if there's new technology out there, right, like um, AI or machine learning or um, the blockchain or um, 3D, um, you know, um, avatars, right, or, um, or the metaverse, right? And it gets people um, engaged and enthusiastic and on a path of learning and education. Like technology is this great tool that advances our society and helps us to learn more. Um, we can do this, what we're doing if it wasn't for, you know, podcasts and educational podcasts. Right. Like, that's how I learned about this space. Right. Um, a big difference. Right. And like, you know, people thought um, two things. People thought YouTube was over. YouTube is not over. Web three has bought, brought YouTube back to life. People thought Twitter was over. Right. The <laughs> Web three is a core um, community now. On people Twitter. thought Discord
0: was just for gamers. Exactly.
1: Exactly, right? So this is this is the idea, right? That technology is also a tool to help people learn and learn faster. And I think that 15 months of web three feels like a decade because it's moving fast. And I don't think it's going to slow down, right? So to me, that's my brand, right? It's
0: like I'm going to go in for the hard sell here. You ready? Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, Dead Fellas mm-hmm. is on a current project called Meta Wrapping, where they're actually giving you the ability to use your Dead Fella inside of all major metaverses, uh, which I think is kind of in line with what you're doing. They're also developing a game uh, through their uh, secondary collection called Dead Friends, these adorable, cute little dead animals. Okay. Uh, where you can go in and have some fun and you know, it's probably, you know, gonna have a play to earn aspect to it. So, uh, I'll send you the medium articles afterwards. I think it's a great community. Um, and it's not unachievable either, right? Like you're not going to have to go, you know, you know, drop a ton of money to get on one of these things. I think the floor is like one ETH, right? All so, right, Zach. I,
1: I you might see me in the discord. Let's go. With, especially <laughs> with the, uh, cross metaverse, um, integration piece. Uh, right now on Twitter, my, uh, my profile picture is a cross metaverse, um, uh, profile or yeah. avatar. Yeah. It, it comes from ready player me, yeah. which is a company that I really, um, really think has a great future, right? Um, we're talking about, you know, creators, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I like to talk about these things from the lens of the front end experience, sometimes, but sometimes I get into, you know, like as far as like critical technology infrastructure, because it's how I started, what these front end applications mean from an infrastructure perspective. And um, when I look at Ready Player Me or what Dead fellows might be doing with multi metaverse avatars, I just think identity, right? Mm -hmm. It's like an important part of the identity stack and identity is a critical component of how people market to us, what they market to us, right? And um and um how we engage, you know, before we have a chance to have a conversation, like it's our brand, right? Yep. So so I think that needs to be 3D and I think it needs to exist in the metaverse in its own unique form, so if the crew at Dead Fellows wants to onboard me, if they've got a recommendation for uh, um, a PFP that
0: suits that, you know, that brand that I just walked you through, um, then they might have a buyer. Yeah, if you go in there and ask, they will. They will jump yeah. all over it, and they do it in the nicest way. Um, it's it's so interesting because like when you when you go into a lot of discords, I think I think almost any discord, it's kind of overwhelming. Right. And you get in there, yeah, but like, yeah. I've never felt overwhelmed when I jump in there and I don't jump in often, but like every time I've gone in there and someone's been like, Hey man, like I'm really kind of on the fence, like about a dead fella, Like, will you help me find one? That's good for me, you know? And like, they'll ask you a little bit about yourself. They'll actually oh, they'll, get out of here. That they'll be spitting so cool. out a few of them going, and, um, but also I'd like to say, you know, on the other side, fellows would be lucky to have you, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've listened to your podcast with uh, Krauss House. I know the big, hairy, audacious goal that Krauss House has and how much, you know, uh, there's so much skepticism about it. I bet. And I, I know bet. how much, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I've listened to you uh, talk about the influence that you've had on that. You're an executor, man. You yeah. get in there and you get shit done for... Yeah, I'm an year. operator. Yeah. I'm an operator. I've got this
1: background. You know, it's like ageless curiosity, I like to call it. But, um yeah, uh, as you were talking there, I said WAGBAT, and I'm not sure if you know what that means, but for your listeners, I'll spell it out, right? It means we're going to buy a team, we're right? Gonna- we're going
0: to buy an NBA team, right? So, like... <laughs> <laughs> I think I, have I don't the want to go all DJ. Go now. The name, the title <laughs> yeah. of this episode is going to be Wagbat. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, there you go. Right. So, like, uh, I don't want to go all DJing on
1: you, Zach. But um, please, if want to jump this, this to is the show for Discord, the DJs. <laughs> you want to jump into our Discord, right, and join one of our town or join one of our town halls or Twitter Spaces. Yeah. You will hear a lot of Wagbats. That's. You'll awesome. hear it, right? That's that. our that's our calling card, right? So. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's part of the whole idea of being a, a member of a creative community. And we just talked about identity, right, and Fellows, and, you know, the PFP. But, um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this, right, like in Web3, we're using Discord and we're using all these tools like, um, like the Metaverse or these game-like environments it almost feels like we're lifting and shifting gaming culture into into popular culture yep. and um you know that's going to get built on the blockchain maybe or maybe a portion of it will get built on the blockchain but there's still a lot of infrastructure that needs to be created to make that a reality this score is cool you stopped using it for a while and went back to your twitter because it's not Web3 community management, right? It's something still native to what it means to be a gamer looking for hacks.
0: Yep.
1: Right? It's a server. Right? Like that's right? what they
0: call them servers.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I've been lately geeking out on, you know, what the alternative tools are out there yeah. for authenticated community applications. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I'm looking at a lot of things. I found a thing called tribes.xyz that is a wallet authenticated chat experience. So think of it like WhatsApp, but uh, you don't have to use a username or a password to log in. You just use your MetaMask. Oh, wow. Okay. Right, Right. and then um, I'm looking for the right one. Like, I think a lot of us are looking for Discord alternatives. Yeah. I think the net of it is, this is a part of the infrastructure that still needs to be built um, for large enterprise to feel like, you know, there's a scale business play here, right? And, um, you know, I'm thinking about that a lot in, in my role at Adobe in particular. And um, we're early stages, but I think we're in the, the build stage, like applications that consumers can use broadly but I think we're in the bill stage in regards to, you know, how do we stay connected to these communities? Right? We're not every one of these projects is gonna have Chris Dixon and A sixteen Z behind them and um three hundred and fifty million dollars or I think seven million dollars, seven hundred million dollars total raised behind you.
0: Yeah. They've done two- they've put two billion into not not into Yuga, but into the fund, the crypto fund at A16T. Incredible.
1: Right. But not everyone's going to have, you know, that um, level of uh, investment to go out and build, you know, their community and their platform, right? To get engaged with people. And I've got some opinions about, you know, what it'll mean for yeah. enterprises to get onboarded into Web3. Please. But share. I have a, yeah. Well, I think it's all about like, is there a consistent, repeatable way that we can stay connected to communities? That's, that, that's one of the most important things. Or is it just social media? I think it needs to be more meaningful and more authentic uh, engagement than what's on social media, but it needs to be more mature than what's on Discord. But I think in general, right, that you know the, the large enterprises, they're experimenting. All right, just like last week, I saw the thing that um, Tiffany's and Co. did with Punk's. <laughs> did that Hold sell out? out? <laughs> Do you 30. have one? Do you have one, Zach? <laughs> are you are you are you Tiffany's? And
0: I actually kid? invented. It. I I helped them. Yeah, I was a consultant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All it's <laughs> that. <a sat-topic. laughs> All right, I got to come
1: to see you. I need to ride around in your Bentley. Um, it's right, right
0: behind it. this virtual background. <laughs>
1: Right, but um, but you know that's a Tiffany's part of the um, Louis Vuitton, Moët, Hennessy, uh conglomerate. Um, you know that's large enterprise experimenting, and it's happening everywhere. Right, I'm in the Discord, and I've been playing around with um, Exclusible and uh, what they're doing with the spatial metaverse. Right, in onboarding brands into that, they did this. Um, drop with uh, French fashion house, Christian Lacroix, where you bought an NFT of a scarf, which was like a color palette. And um, once you bought that NFT, um, you could redeem it um, for an actual scarf,
0: oh, cool. right?
1: Right. And these are luxury scarves. They go for, you know, close to a thousand dollars from this French luxury fashion house. And, and this is another experiment that gets me excited. Exclusivals on a run by the way. I mean, these guys are doing some incredible stuff with brands. Um, today, I saw they partnered with Deloitte to really make it, you know, part of what this large um, you know, big four, big five consultancy is doing um, to build metaverses for brands and large enterprises. But my perspective is, we're in a classic innovators' dilemma, right? And that is, if I'm a you know, CFO for the board of a um, a large brand, let's call it the gap, right? Uh, Let's pick on a retailer today, right? And um, I'm evaluating the cost and um, the legal um, and regulatory hurdles that I have to go through to determine if these financial products are um, securities Right. And I have to build an engagement plan separate from my e-commerce engagement plan or my physical stores engagement plan. Then I'm looking at that budget and saying, why? Right. Classic innovators dilemma, like point to something, show me why this check that I'm about to write, you know, 700 million for um, Yuga Labs. What's the check that the gap will have to write? Let's yeah. call it just a hundred million dollars for their CFO, right? Um
0: just a hundred million, right? million. Small right. part of the budget. I don't think right. their drop went too well. Did you see their drop when they got I have seen them experimenting? Yeah, they
1: did I've it on the ex-
0: which was exactly
1: right? right. You can get that hoodie
0: and I think- and it wasn't an easy, it was like you had to bridge your wallet. It wasn't just like connect your temple wallet or your other wallet, like that that as Tezos in it, like it was like a whole bridge. The it just wasn't done well. Basically, I yeah, see your wallet. And yeah, know yeah. your customer. And it's like I just that, want used my to be a lawyer, head. right? Like I don't it, even uh, wear the Gap. I just want my digital hoodie. Give it to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You don't want to have to put on your lawyer hat and figure out exactly what sort of workflow they're putting you through here. Mm-mm. But um I think those are experiments. But right. for it to for it to be a scaled investment. I really believe that, you know, Clayton Christensen and the innovators dilemma and the conclusion from that is that most enterprises won't make that investment, right? And the ones that do will be because they're scared and they have a thing to be scared of, right? Um, I've seen this play out in my career a couple of times, but the one that I'm closest to where I've seen it really in a palpable way Mm-hmm. is with streaming, right? You know, and um, when Cody and Chica and I were running around New York trying to figure out, like, what how streaming uh, video would play out, um, we never thought about Netflix. We just thought about YouTube, right? But as Netflix grew, NBC began to pay attention, right? We know Disney was paying attention because Disney's got, like, almost as many subscribers or more than Netflix now, right? If you take a look at all of their apps and some of the stuff they give away free, right? So, and um, the entire ecosystem eventually was able to build a plan to um, invest and go into streaming, but Netflix led the way. And part of what I believe is happening in web three right now is that um, the narratives are amazing, right? And the VC behavior and the funding Um, that you're seeing going into these projects. It's really like incredible the amount of money that these projects are raising to build these ecosystems. But I haven't seen the Netflix yet, right? I haven't seen the consumer engagement app that makes the gap say, um, that's gonna deteriorate our bottom line, right? That's the thing where we have to write that $100 million check to be um, relevant for the next generation of consumers. Um, you know, people who are, um, you know, buying fashion, I will say that using the example of the gap and the time that I've been spending, like in spatial, um, looking at what exclusives doing with the, um, fashion houses, Mm -hmm. I will say that the gap should be paying attention now because there's an application being built there, um, that leverages NFTs, the metaverse and, um, the real world consumer e-commerce behavior in a way that might be meaningful and threatening to their current um, way of engaging with consumers.
0: Yeah, I think the one of the you know, there's been a lot of banter back and forth between the Chris Dixons of the world and the the naysayers saying there's no real um use case for web 3 and one of the use cases that we always kind of fall back on as optimists for web 3 is (laughs) the ability to reward participation yeah and what are retailers if not really good loyalty rewards programs or not really good loyalty rewards programs that could be improved with web 3 right? What are musicians if they can't connect directly with the people who are their super fans? What are sports teams? If not the biggest super fans in the world, what does that mean if you attach web three to that? I think you're trying to solve one of those problems directly with Kraus house, but you're thinking about all of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. So like, you know, we're in the build, we're, we're, we're in the build phase right now. We're in a bear market for these assets. Um, the merge feels like it's uh, the Ethereum merge, right? Um, e- ETH 2.0 feels like it's sort of pulling us out of the beer of the bear market. Um, w- we'll see, but um, loyalty does feel like a big on board here for the enterprise. But I- I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge. Like I'm gonna put on like, um,
0: you Demon know, my, uh,
1: my challenger hat. Here for a second right, and go. um and, and and um put uh, another idea out there, and that is the technology does seem to be leading us towards a world of these alternative forms of loyalty and consumer engagement, right but who's really proven it right like like where has this been proven right where is there a web three centered loyalty initiative that's also driving real world commerce behavior, right? Because if we're just talking about trading digital assets inside of these speculative ecosystems, mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it right there, speculative ecosystems, 100%. yeah, right? Then, then these bear markets aren't going away, right? Like 90% drops are you know, gonna be a feature of this ecosystem into perpetuity. But I think if there's a linkage to, you know, consumers' um, everyday purchases or frequent purchases, then you've got an industry, right? So I just don't think that this this wave, right? This web three wave, I don't think that they're Clayton Christensen disciples and they understand, yet the importance of the threat, right? Of a credible threat, right? I do see a lot of energy around, hey, um, let's um let's go and partner with a large brand, but those are really experiments, right? Um, t- for scale to happen, someone has to prove that scale is possible.
0: Yeah, I think they're like as you as you say that. I think of kind of three ways to go about this, and I do not have the answer of what's worked. I don't know if there's been enough time for something to work or not work, right? Um, and I, except for one thing, I've seen not work, which is a one-off drop that is you know just a digital uh, a real asset put in digital form and sold to people who might be fans of the Gap and or, or another right. brand like that. But I think maybe that use case is meh, let's go maybe maybe not so good, but then there's two other use cases I think that that if you consider this a spectrum and that's the middle of the road, let's do it ourselves. There is the can we connect our POS systems or our customer loyalty existing customer loyalty programs that tie to IRL purchases and activities to a digital asset right right. Going, Going- Can you do that? And will your CFO let you do that, especially if you're a publicly traded enterprise? Right, right. Like and, and is there that. value in that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or are you just like creating more layers, right? Because a lot of these things are just trying to create more layers. And what happens when you create layers, it forms this shape. I think we all know uh, yeah. for, for my listening audience, I'm making a pyramid. Um, yeah. But then there's the other aspect of it, which I learned a lot about listening to uh, Alex Danko at Shopify. Uh, Alex uh, talks about token-gated commerce and what Shopify is trying to do with token-gated commerce. And one of the interesting points he made was not necessarily that, uh, you know, company A sells you their NFT and if you own their NFT, then you can come back to the stores and you can get discounts because you don't necessarily need NFTs for that. I think what they're trying to tap into that's really interesting is finding the culture of the existing communities in web three, the doodle, the dead Fellas, the, so the board apes, and then allowing those people to prove ownership of, of their particular PFP and then actually interact with the company in a different way. Maybe get a free drop for their newest hoodie or their newest, you know, apparel item. I think that use case, it has not been proven, but I think it is a really exciting one to talk about. Have you looked into token gated commerce at all?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's exciting and now, right? The idea that um, being a member of one of these communities has um, commerce benefits and those commerce benefits could go across retailers, right? Like um, t- still to me, like it's only a week old, but this Tiffany's CryptoPunk thing to me is like the encapsulation of that. I didn't know it sold out. I learned today being on with you that they actually sold those things out. I thought they were expensive, but 30
0: ETHs, a lot of money, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A grand.
1: Right. In the middle of a bear market. In the middle of a bear market. Right. So, so I'm
0: taking ApeCoin, which is a whole nother conversation, but. Oh (laughs) yeah. That,
1: that too. That too. Right. So, so I think, um, I think it's I think it's a strong, um, powerful thesis. I, I think that's exciting, uh, what's happening with you know, those bridges into e-commerce. But I also think that, you know, there's something more native um that's possible here, right? The I the idea that um that the back end of that purchase, like once you have that digital asset, let's say you have um like I have my Ready Player Me avatar, mm-hmm. right? And I'm still dying to figure out how I can dress that guy up like a baller, right? Like I want to put a jersey on that guy. I want to put a pair of Jordans on that guy. You know what I mean? And I want to put a pair of those slacks that they keep pushing me on Instagram. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I Maybe a pair of Noble shoes because they Yeah, right? Like I, like I want to do that. But, um, you know... I think there's an opportunity for that, you know, virtual um, avatar dress up experience to quickly and easy click into, you know, real world access to those goods. My favorite project, right, along this digital to commerce um, paradigm is Nike, right? So Artifact, Artifact, those guys are geniuses. Right, like um, I'll, I, I think that I think that there's something special there, right? And um, we're gonna just um, we're gonna hear and we're gonna learn more about it. Um, I read a lot in this space. I, it's it's funny, like you said that Twitter's become your default social network. LinkedIn has become my default social network um, lately, and um, I saw a little sneak from Nike this um, this week. And you can see it too if you go to swoosh.nike. Somehow they got their own domain extension. And it seems to be alluding to a Nike-owned metaverse. Hmm. Right? So there's a lot. Swoosh or Swish? Swoosh. Like the swoosh
0: on your Nike shoe. Swoosh. Got nike oh okay whoa you got it let's (laughs) i know we're doing video video but if you can show this to your listeners yeah when uh, i well they'll be able to see it when i publish it we'll we'll definitely be pulling it up so they can see it
1: awesome right so um i got exposed to swoosh.nike via one of the um you know, the influencers that I follow on LinkedIn and, um, you know, there was a summarization as part of the post. And I think, you know, if you follow what's happening with Artifact and what's recently happened with Nike, where they, they've done the sneaker, right. They've now done the hoodie thing, you know, physical to digital, to physical. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like there's something coming with the world. Right. right, And then you think about what you can do from a brand perspective um, in a world like that. It's bigger than Nike. Right. Right. It, it, but it, it also is like the first experiment that I'm starting to see where the back end supply chain and logistics system necessary to do like click to buy digital, click to buy physical, all on a web3 backend could be possible right and that's like my challenge like personally mm-hmm. in this space like i want to see nike succeed but i also want to see other brands born out of this that we know can move faster right that that um have a more clearer path to um getting the permissions necessary to build on blockchain, to leverage Web3 wallets, to make mistakes with the PFP, right? Like, let's go.
0: So you wanna see, <laughs> it sounds like, if I could just sum this up, is interoperability between the digital and physical world done right. Yeah. That, yeah. that would be a cool experience. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a Web3 native company. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the largest, one of the largest brands in the world and Nike. That's right. It could be a brand that people maybe have forgotten about that reimagines itself as both digital. And- yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know if you've seen, but, um, you know, Napster is making a comeback.
0: Oh, no, I didn't. Uh,
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Napster's making a comeback. They're 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 creating um, an NFT centric uh, music streaming service. Okay, right, and um, and um, I don't know how far back you go if you ever used old Napster. I used
0: Napster, Kazaa, (laughs)
1: LimeWire, LimeWire, LimeWire is coming back. To they're launching a NFT based uh, music streaming service, right? And for me, like um, just this week, the NFT project that I was paying attention to (laughs) was um, it's called Stickman. It's done by Warner Music UK. Okay. Really, really good art. Right. And um, it's a utility NFT that will give you access to uh, music events um, and other sorts of utility for for the music fan, especially for uh, musicians that are in that Warner Music stable or that Warner is it partner Music. With,
0: is it partner with Bose, Clive? You got it. You yeah. Got yeah. It. yeah, we got it pulled up here. Wow. This is cool. So it's like high utility. Interesting. How did you come across this one? Browsing OpenSea. <laughs> what do you do for fun, Zach? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, yeah, so I was browsing the I open seat, I'm
0: just like, right,
1: oh. <laughs> like you know, which is the common thing to do on American dinner tables, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and they pushed this project to me, right? So I looked at it, and um, and again, like to me, I look at all of this in you know, that innovator's dilemma lens, so that. Clayton Christensen, right? Like if, if you haven't read it or your listeners haven't read it, you know, when I came into technology and this, you know, made a living in, you know, um, in onboarding disruptive technologies into enterprises or um, helping companies get started, you know, the startup threads in these spaces, this was the book that the marketers and the CEOs and the venture capitalists, you know, asked their people to read, right? And um, I believe that out of what the challenge that Clayton Christensen was describing, and that is the incentive systems in large enterprises are set up to miss true innovation because it means disrupting um, their existing customer base. This is the dilemma that Facebook found themselves in and Mark Zuckerberg is pushing his way through it, regardless of what you think about that company. He does seem to be fully informed on um how the innovators dilemma can lead to a company becoming irrelevant. Mark's got ten billion dollars to And he still has
0: controlling interest in Facebook, which makes it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Right. So he's got this, um, he's got a lot of capital to um navigate the dilemma. But um you know, for your more conservative enterprise or um, an enterprise that just doesn't have access to that level of capital, what um, the conclusion to the innovators dilemma was, and I think still is, is to incubate, right? It's, it's, It's the enterprise creating a separate playing field for a group of innovators to go off and leverage some of these new technologies, blockchain web three, PFPs, uh, 3D immersive, metaverse, you know, avatars that bridge these worlds, phys- digital to physical, um, you know, e-commerce bridges, right? This stuff is complicated. It re- requires strong developers. And, and and this to me is where it all sort of comes together. You can get all of that right, right? Like. As a large enterprise, you decide to incubate a team. That team has strong technology skills and they can build, they can build things. What's different about this wave is that that incubated group, if we're looking at this from an enterprise lens,
0: needs creators, right?
1: And what creators, creators. how
0: do they incentivize creators? I I just think when I think of creators now in web three, they're so empowered to go do their own thing. How do you get the meaningful creators inside of these large companies? How do you,
1: how do you bring them into your initiative when they've got these tools to go direct to the consumers if they're really good yeah. and if they're really strong? And this, to me, is an unsolved problem and um, a real question. But I think one of the solutions here is you know, token participation. Right. And, um, you know, true participation in the end product for the creator. That's where Yuga Labs got it right. Right. I mentioned Creative Commons and you said that we would um, get back to it. Right. Yeah. But this whole idea that as a creator that, you know, I'm first of all, like I'm like being incented as in the secondary market because I'm somehow written into the smart contract or the group that I'm contributing to is written into the into the smart contract. A little bit of software engineering there, but like that's one. But um, the second part is that um, what I create, right? If I continue to stay engaged with the project, is something that I can continue to create on top of, and monetize without the blessing of the enterprise right so it's like the token the smart contract and the license to continue to create it's it's interesting have you explored nouns Dow at all no uh tell me about that one like i see it in in the press but i'm not exactly um up on on what they're doing
0: so i would call them i mean i guess cryptodes was also cc0 but like NounsDAO was brought was what brought CC0 public domain art into the main light. Right. And what they did is they said, we're going to release one NFT a day in perpetuity. It's in a smart contract. They're going to keep going every single day, 24 hour auction, 100 percent of the proceeds from that NFT purchase go to a treasury and the people who own the NFTs govern the treasury. So oh, okay. initially you needed one and one noun to submit a proposal now you need two. The reason I'm talking about CC0 is all of their art is CC0 and that was largely born out of uh 4156 um for the audience that is what they go by uh that is their uh uh identity if you will uh, and it is based on cryptopunk 4156 but that for all intents and purposes the figurehead for nouns um said, I think that the difference between old school digital asset creation or art creation and, or any art creation and now is that what people don't realize is that the more proliferated that the art is, the more valuable that the original that I can prove that I own is worth. Exactly. Because their whole mission is they It is an experiment, they, they'll say. It. it was an experiment to see if we put this art in the public domain and this thing makes waves and anybody can create with those same images, what happens to the value of the original images? Oh my goodness,
1: you know, and- that's such an important point. And I think um, the Creative Commons um, license um, play that they're using and that, I'm not sure if it's the same version of Creative Commons that uh, Yuga Labs used. And um, put uh, CryptoPunks onto uh, when they bought that project. I think that is like an important accelerant here,
0: right? People, um, creators are the engine for Web3. It's a, it exists on a spectrum though. So just to, like, so there are, and I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. The the my background is called BeansDAO. It is literally a hard fork of NounsDAO. Uh, that should be launched in the next few months. We do the exact same thing. It's going to be one bean every single day. Um, At risk of getting uh, called out by my friends who were trying to take a step further than this, it's nouns with different art, right? It's so much more than that. Uh, We have a lot going on the culture side um, and we're having great conversations around how we're going to be different. But for the most part, it's the same mechanism. It's CC0. It's an experiment, right? I think... There are times and places for CC0, but I also still think there are certain areas where um, oh, yeah. proliferation of IP by the original founder with a vision to make to proliferate that IP in a way that brings even more value back to the holders is okay. Uh, yeah. I think about Akuverse every single time I think about this. Yeah. Um, you know, that was also created by an athlete. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But he he held on to the IP rights, but he's got a book deal, he's got movie deals, he's he's doing great things with with Akuverse. And is I think that's still okay, right? Like I think in that sense, if you have that visionary leader who's on board for a long time, on board for the long haul, then you do have a, a, a legitimate interest in holding those IP rights. But Now, with Kevin Rose and Moonbirds going CC0 and Xcopy going CC0, we're going to see if mechanisms besides nouns having that CC0 license, like it may just be preferred because if it is CC0, that still doesn't keep him from making Aku movies and Aku uh, books. It just allows other people to do the same thing right yeah um i did a quick
1: look up while you were chatting there it's micah johnson Johnson. yeah yeah. former mlb player who um who started aku and i've heard uh i've heard him talk on a couple podcasts and i think it's just like incredible his foresight into understanding the intellectual property universe that he was stepping into when he um built this narrative and launched this nft uh, story Mm -hmm. right so, um, Zach, I want to um, stay grounded in your original question, right? Because we were talking about how do you make sure that creators want to be a part of your incubated thing? Or if you're doing something outside of the enterprise, more startup how do you keep, um, you know, creators connected to that? And I think this is part of it, right? Like, it's, it's the license to create is a part of it now if 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 you're going down the path of of micah where you know you're the um you're the ip holder and um you're um centrally managing the distribution of that ip then then you're really just talking about for other creators economic participation by being an nft holder of one of those aku Chapters, I think he calls them, mm-hmm. right? Like you buy an NFT of one of the chapters. You, you don't get to rewrite the chapter, but um, the the um, economic, the economics, the commercial participation in that universe comes back to you by being a holder of one of his NFTs.
0: That That's a great point, Clive. So uh, you know I realize we're getting over to the top of the hour, and honestly, I feel like you and I could do like a six hour episode, so maybe we'll do a marathon episode one week if we can get the families organized. Uh, if we right, do huh? if we do, let's do it in the metaverse: I'm ready. I'm ready in spatial is that Is that what we're doing it? Are we going to do it? What's it. Right. right. Did we just
1: uh, create a virtual and Clive experience? <laughs> Let's
0: I would do it. Love Maybe that. that's Actually, not the name, but like I think we should do it. I really enjoyed this. I made I made a ready player me already. Um, so I'm like, man, they take a picture of you. It looks just like you. Um, Amazing. Awesome. Well, I just want to wrap up the uh, episode, Clive, with my two traditional closing questions. Uh, the first one is, how do you define Web three? So.
1: I think about Web3 as everything that's happening outside of the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? So, yeah. So, like, I think the Ethereum ecosystem spawned a wave of innovation because of smart contracts. Now, some of that is, you know, very similar to the use cases that were built on Bitcoin. So DeFi, you know, um, borrowing, lending, you know, and staking behavior. Uh, for security. Now that stuff, that's foundational, I think, to Web3 in, um, within the Ethereum ecosystem. But everything else that those smart contracts are being used for, and we saw the NFT boom, right? Like, And it was about collectibles, but that was really just capturing the imagination of developers and what they could do with those smart contracts in provenance. I think the use case building, the utility building around those assets and those smart contracts, I think it's all Web3, right? It's about building utility into these blockchain assets. Entertainment is a part of it, but I don't consider it to be just about entertainment. And I don't consider it to be just about getting people onboarded into these 3D immersive worlds or the metaverse, even though I think that is a likely use case for the, um, ecosystem and the
0: technology. So you kind of view it, uh, as a part, but also defined by the practical use cases, right? Um, it's it's the, while those may have been foundational, it's more than that. Right. Um, which is 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 good. It's actually when you when you said other than Bitcoin, the only thing I worried about was the Bitcoin Maxis coming after us. <laughs> oh, oh, Yeah, I, have you ever I seen mean, that crowd? <laughs> <laughs> the ones talking about Taproot and Lightning Network. Cool. I mean, that stuff is the um, ones that think Ethereum is fake <laughs> still. <laughs> I've got I some names in mind actions. please don't come to yeah. my house <laughs> exactly
1: I've got some names in mind but I dare not say them out yeah, loud right, right. so yeah I I think um I think payment right is is also it's applicable to the web 3 world um it's an application that I think is viable in the in the bitcoin world also mm-hmm. I think with this term Right, which isn't my favorite way to describe this innovation wave that we're going into.
0: It's just a it, popular meme.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Dixon for that one. Also, right,
0: right. Like <laughs> um, he's a genius, and uh, he deserves some of hey, the accolades he's getting. With the, with, I think we talked about this earlier in the episode. If not, we talked about it offline. But it was it, like it, it is such a high technical barrier to participate and understand this space and I'll call it this space intentionally that web three just happens to be a framing that the general audience can understand right when I'm teaching at corporates or I'm first explaining to my mom or her friends you know I'm explaining you remember back in like the AOL days when all you could do is read stuff on the internet and then you go to, you remember like in 2004, 2005, all of a sudden Facebook starts to pop up, YouTube's a thing, you're starting to conduct commerce, like that's web two. And then wait, now you can start to own all that content and data that, you know, it's just, it, it, it just it's a helpful framing, but it does not encompass those things unless we do it. So I, what I do actually, and you'll see after the episode is um, I actually take everybody's answer to this question I put it in a single playlist. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so you can just go through because everybody thinks about it a little bit differently. It's not about having a universal answer. It's about how everybody else interprets it and how they explain it. So maybe I'll start re-asking the question as like, how do you explain Web3 as opposed to how do you define Web3, right? Yeah, You don't want to be in the confines of a definition.
1: Yeah, and I think when we're not trying to define it and when we don't have to explain technically why it's different than Web2, Mm-hmm. Is when um, you know we've reached the next phase of the
0: evolution, you know, of this area of technology, right? When it's t- just when it's just web, I've actually heard when it just right? becomes web, that's when web three has actually made it,
1: <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's 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 interesting, right? A lot of inventors out there trying to redefine um, the space, and I think that you know there's still room to invent, you know, what the Absolutely. broader, you know. Um, non-early adopters uh, will call it and how they'll use it right so that's my early definition it's everything that's not bitcoin
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh my my final closing question um i'm gonna throw you a little bit of a curveball but not too bad um so typically it's you know what what is the short term and long-term future for yourself in the space but i think a really good analogy to that and something that I know that we talked about earlier in the episode that you're thinking a lot about is the consumer uh, kind of individual creators in the space versus the enterprise creators in the space. So if you're cool with it, I think it'd be really cool to hear your short term thoughts on those two. And if you want to throw in what you plan to be doing, I feel like you kind of fall into some of of one of those anyways. um, You're more than welcome. And then the same thing long term. And when I'm thinking like time horizons, I'm thinking next six to 12 months for short term and then five to 10 years, which we all know how long that is in Web3 uh, terms. So,
1: yeah, Yeah. I'll try to tackle I'll try to tackle the um, next six to 12 months uh, first, Um, I'll take a shot at the five to 10 years, but um, I think we're all sort of um, rubbing our crystal ball when we start to talk about five to 10 years in this space. But I think in the next six to 12 months, right, in the near term, what we've discovered in Web3 is that there are a lot of components that are being defined in the space. The technology is there there were questions about blockchain. There are also a lot of questions about the environmental impact of proof of work, um, you know, validating uh, block transactions. We're getting through that. The Ethereum merge is getting ready to happen. But I think the light bulb that went off for the industry and for creators uh, the last 12 months, the last 18 months, whenever you believe the NFT boom started is that creators need to embrace this. Right? Like there's an element of creativity to this space, to onboard consumers into this space. It's just necessary, right? It's not gonna be the type of space that you onboard millions of people by doing television commercials, right? The creative element, the social media element that comes along with knowing that, you know, we've got like hundreds of thousands, millions of creators out there that have never really been able to make a living by providing value into these networks that are advertising supported, right? And um, I'm not gonna extend um, into my opinions about the take rates of the major Web2 platforms. (laughs) But, But what they've done is they've cultivated an ecosystem of people, of creators, of people who are interested in making a living as creators they essentially created the platform for Web3, right? So I think that I think that the first wave of that has been the individual creator has caught a hold of this, and um, we've seen some you know fabulous stories. We talked about Dead Fellas, we talked about Boarded Yacht Club, and um, nouns, and you know some of the things that are out there. But we also talked about Nike, right? And we also talked about Warner Music in the UK, right? And these are the creators that they're the same individuals with the same skills, but, right, they have day jobs, right? They're interested in contributing to the value of the enterprises that they're a part of, right? And for this phase to grow into the next phase, I think that those enterprises, they need to embrace those creators. I read a lot about the technological development side of this build phase that we're in i think it was mark anderson said he said find the smartest technologist in your enterprise and mm-hmm. empower that person i would say find the smartest technologist pair them with the best storyteller the best creator in your enterprise and then let them have at it and i think that's important for this space in the next six to 12 months, I think really, if you're gonna break out of this innovative dilemma in your enterprise, you'll need to identify those people, attract them to your enterprise, and give them work that makes them fulfilled, right? So, I'm a big believer in that.
0: Are you gonna be working on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know what? I think at Adobe, we're in the best position, right? Mm. To help creators and to help the OG creator brand. Exactly, I think we're in the best position to help creators and help enterprise identify those creators, mm-hmm. um, attract them into their house and um, to build, yeah. right? Let's build something. Now five to 10 years from now, I think um, I think the stakes are gonna be a lot higher. I don't know how the rules will change, but my bet is that um, we'll be having the Coke versus Pepsi, battles all over again, but it'll be, you know, which metaverse I can attract uh, my users into. And I'm really interested to see how that space plays out, but I don't think you compete and win in that mass scale 3D immersive world without having a stable of creators, just supporting your brand and supporting the way you engage in those worlds. So I think it's a good investment now. And I think it's gonna be critical to the lifeblood of every direct to consumer enterprise five to 10 years from now.
0: Yeah, I, I, I could not agree more uh, with that. I, I see this entire space is effectuating a digital renaissance. Like that's one of my core beliefs about this space and many of the communities that I'm involved in are, that's the agenda I'm pushing. And I wouldn't even consider myself a traditional like art creator But that is something that we can facilitate because of the unique characteristics of blockchain to build communities and just to open up everybody's creative side. There are so many people that have done so much in this space to create that never created before. Yeah, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. That's that's a great way to close, Clive. I, I really appreciate that answer. It's very clear, uh, very aligned on that. So,
1: yeah, thanks for having me on, Zach. I'm really interested in uh, the reaction you get from your yeah. listeners from today's conversation, and for the Bitcoin Maxies, um, it's uh, what's your uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's your Twitter Locking handle? Me out my home address. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, you know, all seriousness, you know, thanks for having me. And it's been a great conversation and looking forward to reconnecting with you
0: again in the metaverse or in Web3. soon Somewhere, but we're going to be having good conversations no matter where it is. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) All right. Cheers. Thanks for joining Web3 with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at OffEdge underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me and hope you'll join us next time.